1: Alex, earlier this week, you threw behind my head, which garnered you an eight podcast suspension. But you've appealed, and Rob Manfred has granted you that appeal. And while we look over the tape of what you've done, you're allowed to continue to record this podcast with me. So, hello. <laughs> hello, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. It's nice to see you before your one one quarter suspension sets in. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There should be more suspensions in podcasting. I think we need like an overarching so body. You know the the podcast punishment board. Um,
1: yeah, overarching bodies work so well everywhere else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we love top top down governing.
1: Do you think that we could uh, we could trust an overarching body the way that we trust like the Olympic Committee <laughs> or like government? The MLB commissioner's <laughs> for, yeah, office, perhaps our,
0: perhaps our favorite sport. Yeah, things have been uh, things have been going really well over there. So we might as well apply it to podcasting. Podcasting could do with a little more chaos, anyway. I think.
1: What's something that I've done on this podcast that you would suspend me eight pods for? I I don't know.
0: F- fervent defense of the National League not having a DH.
1: Okay. That's a harsh suspension for that. A lot of people feel that way. <laughs>
0: but, okay.
1: Well, it's time to... You're going to learn today.
0: It's time to time to learn that lesson. That's what about fair. me?
1: Punitive justice is good, actually. Um, what's something that you've done? I don't know. I, I don't know if I can think of anything else. Actually, there is one thing that comes to mind, but I'm going to save it for when we talk about our three-year anniversary, which we're going to do in just a second. We're also obviously going to talk about the last week of baseball news. We're going to talk about how Rob Manfred has handled it, the COVID outbreaks on several teams now, especially the Miami Marlins. Um, and then we're going to bring 3 up, 3 down back this year with a little bit of a twist. But before we do all that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And you're listening to Tipping Pitches, a podcast about baseball currently while well, it's still going on, but maybe not next week. Alex, I know what I would suspend you eight eight pods for. What's that? It's a take that you had in our second episode, which I went back and listened to as a little nostalgia for this here podcast. It's our third anniversary just passed on Friday, Woo! July 31st. That was the <sighs> the date of our first release. We released a little, a little trailer, episode zero. That's what we called it. Don't know why we didn't just call it a trailer. It's fine. Didn't know what we were doing yet. Probably still don't. On July 30th, but then on July 31st, 2017, that was when we released our first episode. So I figured I'd go back, I'd give it a listen. We basically just said the Astros and Dodgers were good, which turned out to be true. They went to the World Series that year. That was, yeah, that was a good take. It was really funny listening to us talk about the Astros not knowing anything about sign stealing. Mm -hmm. What a pure time.
0: How young we were.
1: (laughs) How young all of the baseball community was. No, the thing that I would suspend you for came in the second episode, and I'm going to play it for the listeners right
0: here. Something that's interesting that's come out, um, and I think it was picked up first by J.J. Cooper in Baseball America, is that the biggest payrolls could uh, start to be hit with draft pick penalties. So if you go over that highest um, bar, which is... Over 237 million dollars, which again, ridiculous amount of money. You don't need to be spending that type of money.
1: Oh no man, that's like one James Harden contract.
0: <laughs> if you go over that, your first round draft pick is bumped down ten spots, which is I think a really interesting strategy. On the feels not
1: punitive enough, but
0: it feels oh, it's not at all punitive enough. I mean, you could set a real salary cap. It's still one of these things that's like it doesn't affect. It's not going to affect twenty eight of the teams in baseball, right? I mean, it's not going to affect. It's not even going to affect people like the Dodgers, right? I mean, it's not going to affect teams like the Blue Jays or whatever it is. um, But it's going to affect the Dodgers, and it's going to affect.
1: This is called evolution, Alex. You realize you're wrong. You go back. You have flawed judgment. You have flawed logic. We've grown so much as podcasters in the last three years. Yeah, well, I I think we've
0: partially grown because we actually, I think, know how to have a conversation and back up our arguments with things beyond just like, I just kind of feel like they, there should be a salary cap. I just kind of <laughs> feel like the Astros are really good, you know, which is much of, I think, what our what our first podcasts were were made up of
1: yeah well our our first our second podcast was just about we felt like this was the golden era for shortstops in baseball
0: which is true that's once again I, a take that has also aged
1: well i think the best part of the clip is that you can tell that we thought we were making the socialist point <laughs> by yep. saying that there should be a salary cap to protect the little guys to protect the little teams Without ever leaning fully into the fact that there's no such thing as a little team in baseball and all of these owners are (laughs) worth billions of dollars. We just didn't think about it. I mean, here's the thing is that
0: there can and probably should be a salary cap and there should also be a salary floor and that should be. A hundred million dollars for both of those numbers. Each team has that exact amount of money to spend every single year. And the rest of it goes to stadium workers. The rest of it goes to maybe fans. You get a $20 bill just for showing up to the nice. game. You know, they go to, to better concessions. That's, that's my, that's where I land on this take three last years part of that, later.
1: The last part of that, that you're leaving out is that that hundred million dollar budget was decided on by a local vote.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: And <laughs> the jurisdictions that these teams are a part of, you know, we just decide, we set that budget.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is, I mean, this is this is how that works. Go back and listen to our episode about fans running a baseball team. This is what we do. This is why you should vote us in.
1: Anything else you want to say on our three-year birthday? Uh, in all seriousness, I...
0: I want to say thank oh, you. Prepare for it. Alex
1: being earnest alert.
0: Uh oh. Uh oh. This never happens. <laughs> I love this. No, I just want to say, uh, you know, we got some, we got some baller fans out there, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we appreciate everyone who tunes in and and showers us with the encouragement to to keep going, um, which we. <laughs> Need on occasion, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, we really enjoy. We really en- enjoy doing the show, and uh, and you know, I enjoyed doing the show with you, Bobby. I'm if you told us told me three years ago that we'd still be doing this thing three years from then, I I probably would not have believed you. I probably would have said we're not going to make it through the off season. So, I would have
1: said we're not going to make it three months. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly.
1: When we started this thing, it was like, let's just give it a shot. You know, what is podcasting? Yeah. Like everyone's got one of these. We can too. So instead of starting a blog, which is a lot of effort to write every week and to get the motivation up to put words on a page that are going to stay there for people to see, we just decided we would just do, we would just skip the step to becoming washed and start a podcast. And, I don't think that we ever thought that it would last this long and continue week to week, but I mean, the cool part about it is like, I moved across the country a year after that and we're still doing this every week. We're still booting up the old Zoom call, seeing each other every week and getting to talk about a lot of this stuff, so in a way, it feels like the whole reason that we started this was because we were having these conversations at 3 a.m. in our apartment and we thought it would be more constructive to do it at a normal hour of the day and go to sleep at 3 a.m. because we were trying to better ourselves as people after creating a lot of bad habits in college. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that that element of this whole thing feels alive to me still. So you know, I don't know where we, I don't know what we'll be doing three years from now, or if there will even be a major league baseball, was, so to speak, in three years. Yeah, I was,
0: I was just about to say I. I really never thought that this podcast would actually see the end of Major League Baseball, but it <laughs> feels maybe, like the, what we're looking down right now.
1: Maybe we started the alternate universe where we're the cause of the end of Major League Baseball, like us That's, two doing this dumb podcast for this long. Yeah, exactly. That might be the, the, rip, the ripples
0: things. we created.
1: <laughs> okay, let's talk about that that thing called Major League Baseball. It's been a rough week uh, for the sport in general for fans of the sport. And I mean, I think obviously for the commissioner of the sport, we should start there. Last time we talked was last Sunday. We had news that the Marlins had at least four players that had tested positive for COVID. And it seemed like that the news was going to start cascading out from there. And it sure did. Monday morning here on, here on the West Coast, I woke up to what felt like the end of the baseball season. From the tweets and the text messages that I was getting talking about how the Marlins now had double-digit players positive, multiple clubhouse members positive, coaches positive, and they had just played a weekend series against the Phillies who were traveling somewhere else to play a different team. I think it was the Yankees, right? Yes. And it felt like there that we had reached the logical endpoint where we should just, if not cancel the baseball season outright right away, put every single team on pause for at least two weeks and figure out what was going on. And that's not what they did. Instead, (laughs) they kind of ambiguously let it continue on for the rest of the day with us not sure what was going to happen. And they made the choice to pause the Marlins for a full week and let the rest of the teams continue on. They ended up pausing the Phillies as well because they were the team that played the Marlins and they were waiting for their rapid test results even though we know the incubation period of this virus means that probably those test results would not show up as positive even if they did contract the virus yet because of the incubation period. Alex, when you woke up on Monday morning, or I guess as the news started to trickle out over the course of the morning for you on East Coast time, were you immediately just like the season should be over? I mean, that does kind of feel like the knee-jerk
0: reaction to just like waking up every day. Over the last week or two, mm-hmm. it's like an, you wake up and there's a new piece of news that comes out, and I'm like, ah, yes, file this away for Exhibit Z on why this shouldn't be happening in the first place. You know, like there's
1: Ex- a Exhibit Z on why we should <laughs> replace Rob Manfred, too.
0: Yes. Yeah, literally. I, 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 here's a question for you Do you think that, uh, do you think that Rob Manfred feels is capable of feeling Shame, because I was having this question. Uh, I, I was I was discussing this in regards to our uh, our current president, and I said I think that that part of his brain has just kind of disintegrated. I don't think that our our president is really capable of feeling like embarrassed. He's more despiteful than anything else, and I'm I'm starting to think the same thing about Commissioner Rob Manfred. So, but I'm I'm curious your thoughts on it.
1: Um. What a subjective question. Thank you for asking. I love subjective questions here on Tipping Pitches. Yes, I feel like he is capable of being shamed, though not like you and I. By that, I mean he is capable of being shamed by his bosses, meaning the owners. Because it's very clear that he doesn't experience shame when he goes out on national TV, and maybe this is a nice segue for us to talk about how Commissioner Manfred has handled this week. Going out on national TV and saying, at first, I don't consider this a nightmare. And then, going on national TV later in the week and saying, look, this is one of the, quote, look, this is one of the reasons that we revisited the issue of the expanded playoffs. If it turns out that some guys play 60, some guys play 58, They have this new thing called winning percentage. We can sort that out. So, obviously extremely condescending, obviously extremely inflammatory, obviously extremely just rude and and cruel and tone deaf. Yeah, just kind of like dickish. (laughs) Just completely total asshole move to say we have this new thing called winning percentage. (laughs) But. That, I don't think that he experiences shame from the fans because if he did, he doesn't experience shame from the fans. He experiences inconvenience from the fans. He yes. experiences shame from the owners because you could tell he felt very shameful when he went out on that ESPN special. If you watched it while well, we were still trying to figure out if we were going to get a baseball season and he felt shamed by the owners for not having figured this thing out yet. So he went out there and his move was to threaten the players to say we might not have a season. Which is another move that he pulled out this week, by the way, which I didn't even mention in my recap of Manfred's behavior this week, is when he came out and said, if the players don't do better, if MLB doesn't do better, we might have to shut this season down. But yeah, I don't long way of saying I don't think that he can experience shame from fans. Much like I don't think Onerous experienced shame from fans. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, you can yeah. experience you can experience shame from a derivative of what fans do like owners are shameful when they make less money like that is the only thing that motivates them that's when they experience shame when their team is in the red for a year they feel bad (laughs) because their (laughs) twisted little brains have been broken in many ways and so then then you in in an indirect way they experience shame from fans but not never directly i don't think that they care what people say about them on twitter
0: oh not not a chance in hell Otherwise they wouldn't say the things that they say. Um, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting few days. We, it feels like we are now kind of the, the threat is looming of there potentially not being a baseball season after, you know, 24 hours from now. Um, the, the statement that Manfred released on, on Friday felt very weirdly timed. Um, like it was kind of trying to get out in front of something that might be coming. Um, you're, he's basically just like setting up the scapegoat, right? Because it's been reported that the Marlins did not do a great job of adhering to some of the, uh, some of the protocols that were set in place. Um, that they had potentially gone out. And so Manfred in, in saying, you know, if the players don't shape up, there's not going to be a season is basically just his way of saying, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be my fault. If the season fails, it's not going to be the fault of MLB or or myself, Rob Manfred, or the owners. Like, it's going to be all on the players, which is very typical of him, obviously, but also lets him get away with the clear gaps in these protocols. And this is like, you know, and and the fact that this was always going to fail, this is we said this literally from day one. We've talked about uh, like, like everyone could have told you this. Yeah, it's, and yeah, we're,
1: we're not special. Like we didn't identify something that no one else identified. You know, I, there's this thing that radio people do where they're like, I've been consistent on this this whole time, but like everybody has been consistent on this literally. this whole time except baseball. You know, except yeah. the people who are making the decisions. Now look, like. Is there a world in which it was okay for them to try? Maybe in this twisted world that we live in, right? Like I'm trying to be reasonable here for once, which is not what people come to us for. But is baseball handling this worse than the rest of the United States? No, but anything better than perfect in the climate that we're in is not good enough because of how bad the rest of the United States is handling this. Anytime you're going to play baseball when cases are going up and they're just, they're just ignoring that fact. They're just ignoring the fact that cases going up in all of these states and all of these markets that these teams are playing in will have an effect on baseball because like you didn't create a bubble. It's our three year anniversary. So let me do something that we've been doing consistently for the last three years and compare baseball to basketball. The NBA has a bubble. The NHL has a bubble. It's different. It's completely different for them. Baseball is not trying to do that, which means that the trend of cases outside of your sport is going to mirror the trend of cases inside of your sport because the people playing your sport are human beings who are going out in the rest of their world and traveling and contracting the virus that way. You can't just cross your fingers and hope for the best. I haven't been traveling around and going in and out with hundreds of people who have had to go to the grocery store, or who have had to go to the pharmacy, or who have had to go on the subway, or have had to go on planes, or who have had to go on buses. Even if you mean well, and you wear a mask that whole time, nothing is foolproof right now. And so if your plan was to not have a bubble, and your plan was to just hope for the best, it wasn't a good plan, which means you shouldn't have started it in the first place. Yeah. Now and, we're so far down the road. Like, when are you going to stop? What is enough to stop? Right. Yeah.
0: Like a a death, probably.
1: And uh, like all that
0: to say that I think it would have been hard for Major League Baseball to do the bubble thing in the exact same way that you know the NBA or the NHL have done it, just because you're essentially going to be cramming. A thousand people into this one yeah, like it's, space, it's, it's, like it's
1: impossible. It's impossible.
0: It's impossible for to to do that like bubble thing. But <laughs> but at the same time, MLB just like basically just did a pared down version of what normal baseball looks like. Like there's still travel, they're still staying in hotels, right? Like there was no real attempt to actually cut players off from the outside world. And I'm not saying that that's a good idea either, right? Like we've talked before about the, the concept of just like cutting contact with the outside world, which sucks too. That sucks too. But you have players staying at hotels that are also hosting like wedding receptions and the hotel bars are open. And it's like these are humans who are going to possibly make mistakes even un unbeknownst to them, like come into contact with something that's going to put them and their team at risk. And so at the end of the day, like you have to understand that and take responsibility for that and say, hey, maybe we didn't think this all the way through rather than saying, well, the protocols were there. It's on you because you didn't follow them.
1: You can create all the personal protocols that you want. But at the end of the day, if what you want to do is continue on in a in a slightly modified way from how you would have continued on if there was no pandemic that's selfish because if everybody wanted to continue doing their life the way that they were doing in a slightly modified covid safe way it would be even worse than it is now that's just that's just the reality of where we're at right now in the united states if i wanted to come see you right now and i really wanted to do it Just like baseball players really want to play baseball. Just like Manfred really wants to have baseball on TV so they can make more money. Let's say our podcast was massive, Alex. Let's say us getting in the same studio and recording was pure gold and we could sell that to advertisers for, you know, thousands of dollars. If I wanted to do that and fly to you, that's selfish. It just is. And if everybody behaved that selfish, Everybody would be living their lives exactly how they were before the pandemic hit. And baseball doesn't get to just do that just because it's quote unquote America's pastime and because quote unquote people need it. Manfred has been speaking in such vague terms about all of this stuff. It's like, why are we playing? Just answer the question outright. Well, we wanted to give it a chance, we wanted to give it a shot. We think baseball is important, right? Like, you're the commissioner of baseball, you have to say that. Okay. So, what isn't going well right now? Well, first of all, nobody's even asking him that question because Tom Verducci is just tossing him softballs on MLB Network. But if someone were to ask him that, I think it's his job to ask himself that, by the way, when you're the commissioner of baseball and you're going on national TV and you have a team that has 20 positive tests, I think you should probably take the onus on yourself to speak openly and candidly about how that happened and what you're going to do as opposed to threatening tony clark by leaking to jeff passan that's my biggest gripe with how manfred has handled this dating all the way back to march but more importantly in the last week he just doesn't outline what the problem is and what they're going to do to solve it he just gets up there and blandly says uh well it's not going well if we don't do better we might have to shut it down or in the case of Eduardo Rodriguez, he just doesn't address the fact that this virus could be causing lifelong issues for the players who are testing positive. Forget, like, trying to stop it from spreading to other players on other teams so that we have to shut the rest of the season down. How about the 20 Marlins players who have tested positive? Are they okay? Is it not part of Rob Manfred's job to talk about what they're going to do to help those players now? To talk about what went wrong to possibly threaten those players' lives? Or their future ability to play baseball and make money because of the fallout from this virus—is that not his job? No,
0: (laughs) his job is to make the owners money. Yeah, Yeah. I, I like like that's. I mean, that's really the thing that I think this experience of baseball in a pandemic has like taught us. Which is, which is not to say that like we didn't kind of already know that's all they cared about, but like, you know, but at this point, the quiet part has been said out loud, right? Like it's, it is more clear than ever before. And, and players notice it as well, right? That like there's no reason that they should be put pushing through like this. And really the only reason is to save face and hope they can make a little bit of money off the season at the end of the day.
1: That's it. Yes. That's exactly what all of this is. Like. Manfred has shown through his actions, forget whatever he says, he's shown through his actions that as long as players stay healthy enough to continue to put a product on the field that people will watch so that teams can mitigate their losses for the 2020 season, then we're still going to have baseball. Now, there's a chance that someone gets really sick and people stop, stop watching. And maybe we should stop watching now. I don't know. Maybe we're wrong for watching and continuing to talk about the baseball that we are seeing. But that is clearly how the person who is shepherding this operation is thinking about things. And so it's really hard as the rest of the baseball community to think about it differently because we just hold no power here. (laughs) Like, and not to overstate things, right? But like, you could rent strike, Alex. But if everybody else in your building doesn't rent strike, you're fucked. (laughs) So, like, you and I could stop talking about baseball on this podcast. But everybody who came here to listen to us talk about baseball, no matter how little we actually talk about the game of baseball, might just stop listening. I don't know. I don't know. I've thought a lot about this in the last week, and I don't really have an answer, and it frustrates me a lot. But I've gone back and forth on should Manfred resign in the last two years of us doing this show. I think for the first year, we weren't really calling for Rob to resign. We were just kind of nagging at him a little bit. Yeah, we were just kind of like, ah, oh, this schmuck. We were getting our <laughs> sea legs. <laughs> And then for the last few years, we've basically been like every pod is just like Rob resign. That's you know that is the real growth here that we've seen. That's what we should make our Twitter bio: Rob Manfred resign. (laughs) And you know, in the in those two years, I've gone back and forth whether or not Manfred resigning would change anything, because clearly he's just stewarding what the owners are asking for and trying to make them as much money as possible. And whoever they would replace him with would just do that as well, maybe even better. What do you think? Mean, what, what do you think about that question? Like, if we res- if he resigned and we replaced him with a more competent commissioner, so to speak, do you think this would be going better?
0: Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. Which is not to say that I don't think he should resign, because at this point, like he he really probably should. I mean, it's obviously not going to happen, but like you can't botch things this bad and then just be like, oh, "Well, uh, it was an accident." It's fine. We'll, we'll move past it. Um, I think that if he did resign, he would likely, like you said, just be replaced with someone who could be even better at parroting owner's bullshit because like Manfred is okay at it, but he's also very transparent about it. Um, and it would be easy to put someone up there who maybe has a little bit more of like a slick finish Um, You know, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the dude's a lawyer, right? Like, I mean, he was put there because they knew that he'd be able to hardball with the union, which like, I mean, there's no denying that he's done that. He's just bad at not making himself look like the bad guy you know um (laughs) and so they could easily easily replace him with someone who's a little bit better than that right which is almost even more malicious like i gotta give rob manfred credit at least for like not hiding who he is you know (laughs) like he is nothing if not um perpetually on his bullshit you know yeah and i
1: gotta give him credit for that (laughs) Don't you think the owners regret putting him in this position? Like, if you gave truth serum to John Henry <laughs> right now, <laughs> don't you think he would be like, "Man, I wish we put a slick, like you said, a slicker face in front of baseball, and we just let Rob Manfred to continue. We let Rob Manfred continue to negotiate, yeah, for the." for the owner's side, for MLB's side in labor negotiations like he was when Bud Selig was commissioner. You know, fucking Bud Selig was stepping in it left and right when he was commissioner. But at least there was a segment of baseball media that sort of revered him. You know, he came from being an owner. He clearly loves baseball. I mean, say what you want about Bud Selig. Dude loves baseball. (laughs) Like, you you can't (laughs) deny he loves it and loves it so much that he ran it straight into the ground for whatever. Whatever. But, Rob Manfred, the critique of him across the aisle, bipartisan critique of Rob Manfred is, it really seems like the dude does not care about the sport of baseball <laughs> at <laughs> all. <laughs> like, even a little bit. It's, it's, really, it's really stunning. I, would, I, I really challenge any listener of ours who's listening to this rambly rant right now to find a clip of Rob talking about baseball just, like, lovingly. Or if not even lovingly, like in a way that shows that he might like admire the sport or at one point in his life admired the sport. It doesn't exist. The clip doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. I, you know, we, we, uh, we dunked on him earlier in this podcast because of that dumb quote he gave about winning percentage. But it's also actually very possible now that we're talking about it, that he had no idea that winning percentage was a thing. And he actually does think it's this like new concept that they can use to evaluate how good a team is. You know, like I'm not sure that Rob Banfred has actually ever looked at a box score, you know?
1: Yeah. It might be hard to avoid at least one box score along the way. <laughs>
0: Well, if anyone would do a good job at doing that, it's probably Rob Manfred.
1: I mean, in that way, we should be thankful that the fact that they put him in charge of this operation just kind of nakedly laid out the fact that the owners don't care about baseball either. Despite what each individual owner might think about loving their team and wanting to win and doing it for the city, doing it for the community, doing it for the fans. The owners as a whole don't give a shit about baseball. They don't give a shit about it. And they put someone in charge, whether intentionally or unintentionally, who exposed that? <laughs> More so than any other figure in the history of baseball has exposed that about owners and about MLB's side. They don't care about baseball. Nah. It's a money-making vehicle.
0: Yeah, it is. Money-making vehicle that we've, for some reason, tied our entire lives to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. Maybe not our best choice. All right, before we move off the COVID stuff, because this is getting so depressing and and making me question why we're even doing this podcast, I want to talk about Lorenzo Cain quickly, and then we'll talk about the Astros and Dodgers. All right. We're now at the stage where players are rethinking, (laughs) even (laughs) deciding to join. I mean, let's leave out... Let's leave out Nick Marcakis, who did the opposite of what Lorenzo Cain has done. Who saw
0: things were going so badly, and he's like, hey man, I want to go down with the shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's like being on a lifeboat and getting back on the Titanic. <laughs> he's like, I really like those guys playing violin. <laughs> oh God. But Lorenzo Cain, Brewer center fielder, has decided to opt out of the rest opt out of the rest of the season. And I just got to say, before we move off this, it seems like a lot of players are going to start doing this because of how badly we've seen things go and because there's no point in this, man. There's no point in it. Like, this season is already so compromised. And whether you believe that it was an asterisk season or not before all of this, it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder to believe that it's not an asterisk season now. Six teams didn't play this week. Six teams had to sit out because of the outbreak in Miami and because uh, I think four people in the Cardinals traveling party tested positive too so like what the fuck are we doing we're playing with 24 teams we're playing with 24 out of the 30 teams never mind the rudder on second rule which I have some words for later the actual teams aren't there man we're just changing the schedule on the fly and so Lorenzo Cain more power to you I hope you stay safe I commend you for avoiding this absolute shit show and I don't know why more players have not opted out of this yet. But maybe we'll see that in the coming weeks.
0: You know, I I sure hope so. Because frankly, I mean, you know, we talk about owners and Manfred being able to feel shame or not. I, I actually think that that is the one thing that could really put pressure on them is more players deciding, you know what, we don't, we don't trust the handling of this. We don't think it's safe. Um, we're going to tap out of this one. Because then you actually have to start having a real conversation about like whether it's worth it to continue playing the game if like some of its brightest young stars aren't gonna be there.
1: I think they would say yes.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. But as evidenced know, by the we Marlins can, we can are dream.
1: Missing, As evidenced by the fact that the Marlins are missing fifteen of their thirty players and are just like trading for Orioles players. Head on down to Miami, Richard Blyer. Forget you <laughs> Forget you having a say in all of this. Dude's got to hate his agent right now. He'd
0: be like, wait, sorry, you negotiated a trade to who? Well,
1: I don't think the, the agent negotiated <laughs> the trade. No need to slander Richard Blyer's agent. <laughs> hey, Richard Blyer's agent, if you want to represent Tipping Pitches and negotiations moving forward, send us an email. Tippingpitchespot at gmail.com. We could use an agent these days. <laughs> it's so fucked up that they can just trade him to Miami. And expect him. And everyone's like, that's fine. He should go down to Miami right now. And fill in the 15 of 30 spots that they're trying to fill in with the rest of their taxi squad. <laughs> oh, what a hell timeline. It's all bad. It's all bad. Um, okay, we're going to do three up, three down. Before we get to that, uh, I want to talk about the Dodgers-Astros thing in a less jokey way maybe you have jokes for it I don't know if you somehow missed it Joe Kelly who is a member of the the 2017 Boston Red Sox who lost to the Houston Astros in the playoffs when the Astros were on their way to the World Series um, he decided to be the first one to try to take some vigilante justice against the Astros who their players were not suspended for the sign stealing scandal that uh, dominated this offseason do you have a take Do you have a Joe Kelly take? <laughs> I feel like a lot of people got their Joe Kelly takes out already, but I'm curious to hear what Alex Baisley thought when he sat down and watched that, because I was watching it in real time, and I, my brain was like, "Whoa, hold on now." <laughs> I feel like I have a hard time finding the range for what tipping pitch's opinion should be on something when I'm watching it happen in real time. You know, yeah. like I just sort of just like overreact, like my lizard brain reacts, and I'm like, Joe Kelly throwing at heads and making faces. This is insane. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of treat and, then, it, and then the benches kind of, is... Yeah, the benches clear, which is should not be allowed.
0: <laughs> it's just like what?
1: Guys, come on. And I sort of treat it like like the like gladiators in the Coliseum for like a hot ten minutes, and then I'm like, wait a second, should Joe <laughs> Kelly Let be them doing fight. this? <laughs> So no. What's no. the Alex Basley take? Uh, oh god. No one wants to hear
0: the Alex Basley take on Joe Kelly, but like the the correct take is that he probably shouldn't be throwing at players' heads. I mean, and there were a lot of people who were saying, "Well, the the Astros should have seen this coming. Um this was always we always knew this was going to happen, especially because the league didn't punish them." the, you know, players were gonna take matters into their own hands. And I agree with all of that. The, I the Astros absolutely should have known that it was coming. And I think that Alex Bregman kind of understood. It. Like when he he walked down to first at the end of the at-bat without looking without looking at Joe Kelly at all. And Joe Kelly had just thrown at his head. And I think if that had happened in any other context, Bregman might have had some words. So I I almost have to give him kudos for just like
1: Wow, the Alex Alliance is strong. <laughs>
0: um, I think that Major League Baseball put themselves in a really, really tough position because they didn't punish the Astros, which opened the door to players taking matters into their own hands. And like you said, like t- pulling off this vigilante justice. Now that probably would have happened anyway, but I Anything outside
1: that- of suspending all those Astros players, one of them is getting thrown at. If they suspend yes. if they suspend Bregman and not Altuve, or they suspend for Bregman total. and Altuve, yeah. but not Springer, then Springer is getting 10 fastballs in the ribcage. And yeah. if they suspend them for not long enough in some players' minds, all it takes is one guy to think yes. they didn't get the proper punishment. I don't even know if this one is on Major League Baseball, which you could say that this one is on Major League Baseball in the sense that, like, that they've cultivated this environment, this machismo environment where like throwing at someone can be retribution for what they did in past seasons three years ago or two years ago or one year ago or whatever it might be. I don't know. I think it's just dumb that Joe Kelly did it. Here's what, if you strip the fastball behind Bregman's head out of the situation and he's just talking shit and they're getting mad at each other and he strikes out Correa and he says something and they have words for each other and they call each other cheaters and and Dusty Baker says, get back on the mound, little fucker. If you have all of that stuff, but you just take away the 96 mile per hour fastball, don't you get the same message? Yes. Like, it's all the same fun. And Joe Kelly is making the same point that the Astros cheated and you're talking shit to them because you struck them out and you think that they shouldn't have a World Series. You don't need a 96 mile per hour fastball at Bregman's head to prove that point. We all know that point. Yes. H- Hitting Bregman is not taking their World Series ring back. No. A- and a
0: lot of fans, particularly Dodgers fans, were upset that Kelly was suspended for eight games, which is a not insignificant number of games. It's like a quarter of the season at this point. <laughs> However, once again, like... That had to happen. That was always going to happen. It was 100% the right thing to happen. If MLB doesn't suspend Joe Kelly, then it's just like fucking open season on Astros batters, right? Then then every team realizes they can get away with this kind of vigilante
1: justice. I don't even see the... I don't even understand the vigilante justice aspect of this. Does it feel good to throw a fastball at someone? Was there, a point, was there a point in your life where you were like, dang, it would feel good to plunk this dude? <laughs> Let's lay no. it all out on the line. I already exposed our bad take about a salary cap in the past. Do we have skeletons in our closet about Beanball? Yeah, are we about to be canceled? I think that I've hit people for standing too, like, over the plate, you know? Like if you're not going to let me throw on the inside half of the plate, sorry, it's going to the ball's going to hit you, but that's because like I'm aiming for the inner half of the strike zone, not because I want to hit you in the neck.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is a very strange like in, <laughs> in no other profession would like that sort of thing be allowed. Like I am uh negotiations with this uh business person uh aren't going well. We're trying to seal a deal um what if I just, like, staple his hand real quick? What if I just toss a binder at him, you know, just to, like, let him know I'm, I've am i got my eye on him? You I would know? have been like, more it, interested in
1: getting into business if I could just throw binders at people, actually. You're <laughs> making a bad argument here.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, in Amy Klobuchar's case, you can run
1: for president and still do that. So, um, holy, did not think that we were going to go down the Amy Klobuchar route today, but <laughs> here we are. Weird podcast. No, no, no holds barred. The I don't other know, element man. This of this is, is that Joe Kelly doesn't need to be putting more people on base. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, uh, there was a lot of weird like standing for Joe Kelly on Twitter, and I'm like, I don't know, dude, kind of seems like he sucks. Yeah, like I'm not a Joe sucks. Kelly fan.
1: He definitely sucks. Though, him making that face at Correa is an all-timer. That's Absolutely. what I stand. I stand for that face. That childish trolling that joe kelly did to correa in that moment beautiful that's good absolutely we need we can use we
0: could use more of that in baseball regardless of whether a team has pulled off a generational stealing a sign stealing scandal i agree. like i i just i want marcus stroman to do that when he strikes out i don't know jt
1: realmuto or something like that two players that are not going to play baseball for the rest of this year. (laughs) 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 Brutal. Okay, let's go to a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll do a revamped version of 3-Up-3-Down. Okay, Alex, last year we debuted a segment beginning of the year called three up three down it made sense to precisely zero people including you and i but we powered through and did it for an entire season essentially what it was was a power ranking of things that we were thinking about in the baseball world that were important enough to mention but not important enough to fill an entire segment so that's what we're going to do again this year however instead of having the power ranking of nine things and a running list that we adjust week to week we're just going to do Three new positive things every week and three new negative things every week. So three things that bring us a little bit of joy, three things that maybe take that joy right on back since being a baseball fan is a net zero experience. (laughs) But with all that being said, I'll let you do the honors. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with three down? You want to do like a bad news first kind of situation? feel like we've had a lot of bad
0: news already on this podcast so maybe we uh maybe we talk about some things that uh bring us joy and then you know we'll end on the bad note right
1: great i hope people stick around for ending on the bad <laughs> note kick us off first thing on my list is uh
0: you mentioned it briefly earlier um but that is dusty baker getting caught on a hot mic uh telling joe kelly to uh just get on the mound Little fucker. This
1: is... Little fucker uh, is so funny. And I have to say, before you continue, I'll let you wax poetic about Dusty, who's a fantastic character in the baseball world. It was misquoted by many an outlet saying, get on the mound, motherfucker. That is yeah. not what he said. He said, it's, get on and the mound,
0: a Huge difference,
1: little fucker. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you know what? Joe Kelly is not a motherfucker. He's a little fucker. His scrawny yes. ass and his fucking glasses, little fucker. Anyway, continue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, um, this is the perfect example of one of the weird quirks of having baseball with no fans in that you hear sounds of the game that we really have never heard in this way before. I think that if there were 40,000 cheering fans in the stadium, you probably don't hear Joe, uh, you probably don't hear Dusty Baker saying that to Joe Kelly. And yet here we are. Um, Joe, uh, Joe Davis fo- following Dusty's outburst. She said, so in empty stadiums, uh, we pick up some things we don't normally pick up. Apologies for whoever the potty mouth is. Which, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> Joe Davis is
1: good. He's good I, at his job.
0: Yeah, we're where Joe Davis stands here. But anyway, um for for however long this baseball season lasts, I I will continue to be excited about the mics picking up like little nuances of the game that just we pre- previously were not privy to. Put a mic on on the first base umpire so we can just listen in to whatever conversations are going on in first base. That's my take. Might not be legal, but you
1: know not strictly legal. Unless the MOBPA signs off on it. <laughs> um, Good one. I like that one. Okay, are you ready for my first one? Yes. Fernando Tatis Jr. coming up in the 8th inning or later. <laughs> this dude, obviously he's at batting at the top of the order, so he always gets a chance, more or less, late in the game. Whether that's 8th or ninth inning, or 10th or inning, which is something I'm going to discuss in just a little bit. But this guy... It's not an overstatement to say that you should not miss a single Fernando Tatis Jr. at bat if you can. <laughs> there's something about baseball and not tuning into a whole game, but knowing that there's a few innings left after you kind of wind down for the night and you can just throw those couple innings on and very frequently those couple innings are are boring. The game's already decided and it's 7-1 Braves or it's 7-1 whoever else might be playing the Mets. But it seems like the Padres are uh, still figuring some stuff out with their bullpen, you could say. So their games have been very close, even when they're leading, they give up that that lead late. And here comes Fernando Tatis Jr., who I got to say it and and maybe this is slighting a lot of people who we've praised a lot on this podcast, but he's the most electrifying player since Ken Griffey Jr. Just no holds bar. Sorry to everybody else. Sorry to Ichiro. Sorry to Prime, I don't even know who's someone else that might be as electrifying as either of those people
0: ever heard of a guy named Derek Jeter, Bobby? Oh my God, get out of here! <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe a
1: cunha, yeah, maybe a pitcher, you know, like, but they only go every five days, you know, so he's just pure joy. that's it. He's pure joy, packaged into one perfectly sized middle infielder with a lot of flair, and all of the talent in the world to back it up. I have been putting on every Padres game every night because of this, and that is the one benefit of being a West Coast baseball fan, is that you can hang around for those late-inning at-bats that Fernando Tatis stretches out against a reliever who you can tell just really does not want to be facing him. (laughs) (laughs) The Padres lineup is good, dude.
0: Yeah, I know. They're going to be fun to watch for the next couple days.
1: (laughs) Okay, what's second for you?
0: Second for me, um, our, uh, beloved president, Donald Trump, uh, announced last week. Somehow we're going towards joy with this one. (laughs) Announced last week that, uh, that he would be throwing out the first pitch at the Yankees game on August 15th. Now, um, this announcement happened to come, uh, in the wake of Dr. Anthony Fauci throwing out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals game. And, um, and the Yankees received a, a, a good amount of criticism, uh, on this because especially amid all the, the Black Lives Matter movement, protesting, non-protesting, whatever you want to call it, that was going on. Um, everyone was like, Hey, this shit sucks. Yeah. Yankees, why'd you do that? Uh, turns out they didn't, uh, do that. And our guy just made it up <laughs> on the spot. He had been, a uh, he had been. Him and Randy Levine are uh, are good buddies.
1: And do you think I guess, they talk more than you and I talk? It's a there's a chance, there's a non-zero the, the, chance that Randy Levine is in closer contact with Donald Trump than I am with you.
0: <laughs> I don't even want to think about that.
1: Um, turns out,
0: a while back, Randy Levine was like, "Hey, dude, come on by whenever you want. You know, we're we're buddies. Come by the come by the place sometime." And so Donald Trump took that to mean. I can choose when I throw out the first pitch at this baseball game. And his staffers didn't know it was happening, and the Yankees didn't know it was happening either. And so a few days later, he tweeted, Hmm, actually, looks like I'm going to be pretty tied up on that day uh, dealing with coronavirus. Yeah, thing- that's the things. best part
1: about this. <laughs> dealing with the coronavirus, which didn't exist a couple days ago when I tweeted that I was going to throw out the first yeah, pitch. Yeah, exactly.
0: Scheduled meetings on capital V vaccines, our economy. And much else. Uh, those are the reasons that he cited for not being able to be in New York. I like uh, to think of that, this podcast as some a
1: scheduled meeting about baseball. <laughs>
0: that's, that's pretty much what it is.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> anyway, far be it from me to say that anything Donald Trump does brings me joy. Um, but you know, it's the little things, man. And it all stemmed from him being jealous of Fauci. Which, like, of course, he saw Fauci throwing out the first pitch and was like, "Why not me?"
1: You know what Um, I'm slightly concerned about, though, and this might be a three down if Trump ever does throw out the first pitch. It's going to be better than Fauci's first pitch, and we're never going to hear the end of it on Twitter. Yeah, I know Fauci's first pitch was rough. Yeah, just you just got to do better if you throw out the first pitch of the baseball season. You just, (laughs) I'm sorry, you just you have to do better. Try the other hand, underhand it. Do something else, sidearm it. It was so bad. It was like fifty cent level bad. Yes, absolutely. I mean,
0: I suppose the one silver lining is that it means that he's not out there practicing playing catch every day, which I mean, as the nation's like top dude in charge of handling the pandemic sweeping the world. Like maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good sign he doesn't actually know how to throw a baseball. I miss playing. Means catch. he's focusing on more important things. Yeah, I do too.
1: Should I move back to New York so we can just play <laughs> catch with masks on? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. What is uh what's next up on your list? The Cleveland pitching rotation. I had initially wrote down Kyle Hendricks for this spot, and I think in a more general sense, I like to be very <laughs> overarching with these ones, which people will remember from last season, um, or will learn shortly in this season, but. Uh competent pitching is something that I am enjoying over the first couple weeks of the season because it's it's rarer than in past seasons. <laughs> it seems like uh the lower half of pitching rotations are not doing so hot and are still trying to get their sea legs on this on this weird baseball season and still trying to ramp up so a lot of the games that I've been watching it'll be like eighty five pitches for the starter through four and a third, and they just can't find the plate and in this, I'm thinking of someone like Steven Matz, who is, it's an intensely joyless experience to watch him pitch for the New York Mets because he's either painting and pitching extremely well, or he's just hitting middle, middle like every third pitch. And the other two pitches are just nowhere near the strike zone. So, like, what is the point of watching it? So then I watched Cleveland's rotation and I watched Kyle Hendricks on opening day. And just to see someone confidently stepping up there on the mound, hitting their spots, painting the black, that's just one of those things that I love about baseball. A pitcher who is in command. A character at the front of the storyline of a game. Confidently painting the black at 96, 95, whatever. And that Cleveland rotation is full of a bunch of interchangeable right-handed dudes who throw 95 and are like one of the 10 best pitchers in the league. I don't understand how that happened. But after trading away Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer. Um so yeah. That's my that's my second one. What do you what do you have to say about that?
0: I am a believer. That's really that's really I gotta all I gotta say. Shane Bieber, man, what if?
1: how's that's not fair. What a pitcher.
0: What a I he certainly knows what he's doing when he goes out there to throw the baseball. He has a negative he's got, right he's, now. He's got Jesus Christ. That's like Clayton Kershaw, yeah, levels.
1: I mean, it's only it's two seconds. <laughs> 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 okay. What's third for you?
0: Third for me is um, the the player who was drafted by our buddies over at Cespedes Family Barbecue in our all gift draft. Um, G Man Choi went up to bat for the Tampa Bay Rays this past week, and G Man Choi is a lefty, and he came up to bat as a righty because he had been working on his switch hitting a little bit and he had never hit from the right side before. And then he went up and he hit a home run that went 429 feet and it had a 110 mile per hour fucking exit velocity. Like we can get into the stats of it, but my guy in the middle of a pandemic. In his, while he was just quarantining at home was like, Hey, I should take up this switch hitting. And then he did and was extremely good at it. And yeah. we just absolutely love to see that. There is, there's a very clear reason why they drafted him for, uh, for their gift team. And it is for reasons like this, because he is obscenely fun. He had a beautiful little bat flip at the end of it too. It gracefully just kind of floated out of his hands and had some nice rotation to it. More of this is is what I call for. That's that's my take on this is I like to
1: see that. He's like that dude in Little League that you played with who was like, I've definitely been working on my switch hitting. I could definitely go up there and hit switch. And you're like, all right, all right, okay. All right okay. Except he can actually do it now.
0: literally he's he's dabbled in it uh, a little bit before when he was with the the angels he like broke his fibula and like had to try hitting from the other side um and then the angels kind of shut it down and they were like yeah we don't really want you working on that but um now he's on the rays and the rays say you know fuck it whatever works man
1: the rays really do say that (laughs) okay all right
0: last up on your list
1: the third thing that brings me joy and here's a Here's a long-running bit that I've already referred to once in this podcast, but we're going to ignore that fact. The third thing that brings me joy is um, NBA players. <laughs> um, I had a hard time thinking of a third thing that brought me joy in this hell week of baseball, or in the last two hell weeks of baseball. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of small things and whatnot, but I wanted to take this opportunity to talk about imagining what it could be like in baseball by watching the NBA and their anthem protests and their solidarity and the way that their coaches and players are all kneeling during the entire anthem and seeing something run kind of smoothly. There's genuine critiques to be had about that league as well, but it brings me joy to think that we are just one leap and one bound away (laughs) from having baseball be semi-competent when it comes to a- aspects like this. And I'm trying to hold on to that joy by watching the NBA and thinking maybe our sport can have all this someday too, Alex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't that be nice? Um NBA players are uh, are allowed to to put messages on the on the backs of their jerseys. And I I do shudder to think of what that might look like if baseball players we're allowed to do that sort of thing. The jersey it was thing not, is so weird. I'm not even talking it's about so,
1: that. So it's so bizarre. Um,
0: it's fun. It's funny to, to watch another sport and say, damn, what if, wish, wish we were more like that. Like this, this isn't even a baseball positive thing, right? It's no. just kind of like maybe, maybe we're moving in that direction. Um, the NB, the, the WNBA specifically, um, I think has done a really great job. Um, the, the players of the teams of really just kind of showing where they stand on this sort of thing um you have teams like the like the new york liberty here in new york um walking off the court during the national anthem and and like holding real moments of silence um and like that that WNBA is,
1: has been the most radical league it's i mean it's, yeah, it's by and far issue the, for the, the,
0: it, m- the most progressive sports league for out its there.
1: entire existence
0: Yes, exactly. So, you know, we got, we got miles to go for, for baseball to, to get that far. But in the meantime, you know, we can dream.
1: We sure can. Okay. Uh, that brings us to your three down.
0: First on my three down, MLB, uh, came up with some new punishments for players who will be, uh, who were caught cheating, caught, uh, stealing signs electronically. And the punishments suck. MLB says that they're going to, if, if they are suspending a lot of players, that they are going to stagger the suspensions so that the team isn't hurt too, too much by it. Because you don't want to suspend 15 players at one time because that might fuck up the competition.
1: Uh, you know what else fucks up the competition? Cheating. Stealing, stealing, stealing. Signs signs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. How are you going to punish the team, but then say, but we don't actually want it to have an impact on your play on the field? That's that that defeats the purpose of it. Yeah. This that doesn't make a, any sense.
1: It's on a different scale of, uh, of seriousness in terms of like the sociocultural world. But this is like when Rob Manfred decided he was going to suspend Yuli Gurriel for three games to start the 2018 season instead of suspending him during the World Series. Yes, exactly. We wouldn't want it to hurt the Astros too much, who, by the way, were cheating in that series.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Like MLB bends over backwards to actually make sure their punishments don't mean anything. And... Once again, I guess I gotta respect it because they're they're nothing if not consistent with that. Yeah. What's first down for you?
1: The extra innings rule. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's the worst thing about the on-field play this year. Yeah. It's a fucking embarrassment. What is it accomplishing? I, yeah. Nope, I got.
0: I don't. I don't. I got nothing for you there.
1: I don't even have a. I don't even have a lot to say about it that we haven't already said. It's so resonant with what we talked about with that Rob Manfred doesn't actually watch baseball, because if you watched baseball, I don't think that you would think that this was the right change to make while you're already making a lot of other changes. You know, we. I mean, we can maybe we can talk in a slower, a slower week about the three batter minimum rule and how that's played out so far, which I don't think has really radically changed how I watch baseball or how teams operate necessarily, but the runner on second rule is so hokey and so weird and so little league that it's really turned me off from extra inning games. Like I find myself stopping. I'm not even paying attention anymore. I don't care who wins.
0: Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't make an ounce of sense. Imagine We're losing inning-
1: on, on an unearned run. Nobody earned it. The team didn't yeah. earn the run. Not the reliever, not the person who left the person on base. You just lose on an unearned run. Yep. What's the fucking point of even playing the first nine innings if you're going to lose on an unearned run? Yeah, it, no, it doesn't make any sense. You <laughs> might but as extra well just innings, flip a coin. You might as well just flip a coin.
0: Extra innings used to be this, like, really kind of fun, unique aspect. The kind of thing that, like, doesn't really exist in most other sports cuz most other sports like they have an end time right like there's a point at which the game is just not going to continue and baseball doesn't have that right like there are no ties
1: tennis is the only other one that has a similar feeling to baseball in that it could just go on forever and some of the some of the more longer lasting tennis games are are tough But the tension that builds because of it in the average extra inning baseball game or the average tennis tie break is, I think, if you like the sport, an exhilarating element of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, baseball extra innings like have this kind of chaos to them, right? Because you're running out of players and you might see, I mean... You might see a position player on the mound. Like there is this kind of like weirdness to them and everyone just kind of wants it to end. But like you said, that tension does just like keep building. I love 18 inning games for that exact reason. And Rob Manfred said, that's one more thing you guys can't have. We love it.
1: Okay. What's next for you?
0: Uh, I guess I can just say, uh, Bob Nightingale, um, and Jim Crane. Uh, oh yeah. This past week, Bob Nightingale of USA Today, friend of the pod, um, published a a lengthy piece that mostly amounted to handing the pen to Jim Crane to whine about how the, the Astros are being very unfairly treated by everyone. Have we ever done paid. a
1: bad take reading for Nightingale?
0: No, because
1: he doesn't really write opinion columns like in that he way. Did, it's
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, what he does is he just lets other people write it for him. Um, this was basically just like supposed to be this kind of like mea culpa, like style piece where Crane was like, look, like we're sorry, you know, like this weighs on us like every day, but like you can't keep like holding us accountable for it. Um, there was a really weird, piece in there where crane defends brandon Tobman, who was the one who screamed uh you know fuck yeah like we you know we got osuna at female reporters it was a weird defense of him and being you know he's a good kid this is a 35 year old man he's a good kid you know he makes mistakes it was i'm just like no more no more bob nine nightingale the society has, progr- has progressed past the need for Rob Nightingale. Like, Rob thanks. Nightingale,
1: Freudian slip, right there. <laughs> yeah, society has progressed past the need for Rob Manfred, Bob Nightingale,
0: and Jim Crane. Get eject all three of them. I, I don't know. It's just enraging. Like we don't, we don't need an Astros, a Jim Crane like apology tour. No one's asking for this. No one's asking for his side of the story.
1: I could That's not agree it. more. Completely unforced error by Bob Nightingale. Completely unforced error by Jim Creighton. Just like... Anyway, okay. Next up for me. Um, I feel like the umpiring has been really bad this year. And oh, I don't... Robot umps. Robot umps. I don't know why. I don't... This isn't a... I don't want robot umps. Because I feel like <laughs> that would be worse. I haven't seen a ton of really terrible replay reviews yet in the baseball that I've been watching so far. But the strike zones have been terrible. (laughs) Really, really, truly affecting the game bad. And for some reason, it just seems like the outside six inches off the plate is getting called a strike for right and left-handed batters now, which previously was only a thing where left-handed batters get that call. And that was well understood among players. But I'm seeing like Little League strike zones. Not literally, but Little League style umpiring where the umpire is basically just saying I'm either a high ball or I'm either a high strike ump or a low strike ump. And I'm not giving you anything on the lower part and I'm not giving you anything on the upper part if I'm vice versa. And it's just taken a little bit out of it for me. And I don't know if that's because umpires need some time to readjust to live pitching. They didn't have spring training really. And I don't know if it's just because like there's no fans and they don't feel shame. <laughs> Maybe umpires have the capacity for shame, unlike Rob Manford and owners, <laughs> and they need to be shamed. They crave that shaming. But are we saying, are we saying the umpires are masochists? Umpires are <laughs> afraid. <laughs> and they need the they need fans there to boo them when they make bad calls. That's my opinion. I don't like, think umpires like, are taking it them seriously. In line. Yeah, I don't think umpires are taking this seriously enough let's get fans back in the stands to help the umpires
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe they maybe they just don't want to be out there and so they're getting progressively like worse and worse and worse until major league baseball has no no choice but to say fine we'll stop yeah no more no more baseball stop calling strikes that are three feet outside the strike zone
1: okay what's your third and final thing
0: well, the the third thing is a bit of a developing story, and we don't have all the details on this, which you know, I mean, typical for us. Um But the the turns New out York Sunday Mets,
1: afternoon, weird time to record a podcast.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, a lot of news the is New York, developing. The New York Mets released a statement um just a an hour or two ago, saying that you know, an Sestis did not show up to the stadium today. They haven't been able to get in contact with with him, and they're going to keep people posted as the story progresses. Mm-hmm. And then, about a half hour later, they followed it up with a statement that said, "We uh, we've learned that there's no reason to worry about his well being. Um, we we think he's safe, so that's fine." Which means that the Mets put out a statement. When they did not know the whereabouts of a player, the Mets put out a statement shaming said player and basically being like, "He didn't come to work. He's not responding to our texts or calls. We have no clue. We have no clue where he is." Without actually confirming the well-being of said player, or they or they did know, and they just wanted to make Cespedes like look bad, but that. (sighs) It's such a petty and, frankly, irresponsible thing to do, especially when they didn't quite need to do it. There no, no one was necessarily going to find this out. It's not like it's not like the press is in the locker room and it's like, where's Cespedes, right? Like they could easily say, Cespedes has been scratched from today's lineup. There are more details coming. And then in the background, work on finding one of your stars without just putting out a statement that causes a flurry of worry on Twitter among fans and putting the onus essentially on the player and being like, well, he's disappeared. How irresponsible of him. It's just a, it's just a really obnoxious move by an organization that, uh, I don't know, known for making one or two of those uh, over time. Bobby, your take as the, our resident Mets fan.
1: Well, let's just transition straight into my third thing, my third down this week. The third thing that saps my baseball joy, which is just the New York Mets. <laughs> 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 I was going to mention the Cespedes thing, and I'm glad you brought it up first because... I always I, I have a hard time with like the barometer of how upset I should be about certain things that the Mets do because I'm following it so closely and I just respond so strongly to everything that they do that seems like an unforced error. And this one this one kind of broke into other parts of the baseball world where it wasn't just people that consistently complained about Mets fans, it was people who just followed the game of baseball and are like, Why are the Mets doing this? Why are they putting out this statement about Johannes Cespedes when they don't either don't know where he is or do know where he is and unnecessarily are putting out a statement that shames him for not showing up to the ballpark. Um I feel like it'll make more sense when we have more details about this. So perhaps this conversation will be slightly outdated by the time people are listening to it, but it just goes to show that the Mets can't handle anything in house. They can't. They they're incapable of doing it. And I don't know why, no matter who is there. Who is in charge? Who is the manager? Who's on the team? The only thing that's ever consistent about all of it is that the Wilpons are there, but I find it hard to believe that the Wilpons had anything to do with putting out this statement unless like Jeff called and was like, got to get a statement out, stat, which I would love. If somebody has information on that, leak it to us. Come on, (laughs) we'll anonymously talk about it. But uh, the reason that I put the Mets on my list is mostly baseball reasons. They're horrible. They're joyless to watch. They're consistently blowing late leads or getting so far behind in the game and not managing to scratch across runs. Like, I have them on to the side of me right now. They have nine hits and no runs. It's the eighth inning. Nine hits, no (laughs) runs. They had 15 hits and two runs the other day.
0: Yeah, that's tough. That's not exactly fundamental baseball.
1: No these two things have nothing to do with each other but because it's all about people wearing the Mets uniform we'll talk about them at the same time and I, don't know, I hope Ioannis is okay I, it seems like he is okay maybe he's opting out of the season and the Mets wanted to shame him for doing it like the night before a game or on the road or something like that but in that case we'll talk more about it next week because that's fucking stupid
0: to pick on you
1: This wraps up another episode of Tipping Pitches where we're not sure if the next time that we talk we're going to have actual baseball to discuss. Uh, I know we've said this a lot, but it seems like the next few days are probably a flashpoint in that respect. So, I don't know. I guess we're hanging tight and watching just like everyone else and hoping that people can remain as healthy as possible. Even though it seems like that means we should stop playing baseball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you think we would maybe start to learn a lesson?
1: If you've been a listener for a long time and you've been with us through many a birthday or a couple birthdays or all three birthdays, uh, we really appreciate that so much. Um, for all the people who have recommended us to other people to listen to, for all the people who have left reviews, for all the people who follow us on Twitter and interact with us a lot, like we really appreciate it. Like Alex said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, it's sometimes hard to justify continuing coming back and talking about a sport that tries to alienate us from time to time but at least we're all in this together with all of you so thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts we truly appreciate it and you know
0: you you know what gift you can get us is uh, tell a friend Yes, convince a friend to uh, happy third birthday tell three friends
1: one for each birthday to come (laughs) listen to us (laughs) yeah exactly make tipping pitches the biggest baseball podcast on the internet challenge (laughs) Uh, we'll be back next week I'll talk to you then hello everybody uh, i'm alex rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that i love the most so we'll see you next week see ya